Put your phone away. We're talking about vibes today. Vibes. V-I-B-S. Vibs. authored a blog entitled How to Murder Your Husband has been charged uh, standing on trial for being accused of murdering her husband. I guess it's true what they say, John. Write what you know. And welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name is Henry. And my name is Incriminating Blog John. And together we're Henry and, and incriminating blog John coming at you to discuss the cultural happenings of that there zeitgeist. Do you think that... Th- so, some people believe that if you manifest things, if you think about them, you know time plus concentration equals flesh, etc. Isn't um, that like the secret? I, I think it's the secret. Also tulpas. Uh, but do you think... That that's why my life is now currently full of anime OCs that I created when I was 13. Oh, because you were trying to manifest your reality through anime OCs. Yeah, I was just writing a lot of fan fiction, and now my life is full of uh, people with cat ears and eight-foot-long katanas. Katanas? Katanas. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I so the way I used to go to sleep every night was to just replay, like, the most recent anime that I had seen and, like, just put myself as the protagonist. So I just would just plagiarize other people's work to put me to sleep. You're like, man, what if I was Rock Lee and I took the weights off? Yeah, I was, it was, so most of the time it was like, what if I was Link? I would save the Hyrule. I can use a sword. My shield would have, like, a skulltula on it, and it could, like, shoot, like, webs so I could, like, sling from the roofs to places. So Spider-Man Zelda. I didn't learn about Spider-Man until much, much later. Interesting. I It's, uh, you were Link, though, and you did save the Hyrule. What? When? When you were, when you played uh, Legend of Zelda or whatever. Yeah, like a video game? No, man, this was, like, no controller. This was reality. This was reality. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know, man. I've been having some very vivid dreams since I started my new job, and I don't want them to be real. I had to kill a giant wasp with a broom in my dream last night. Oh, my God, I just killed a giant wasp with a fly swatter in real life the other day. Oh, my God, we're manifesting. Oh God! Why is it always giant wasps? Did we? Did I now, tell you? A, 
Sorry. The the initial version of the secret did not sell so well, but it is the only <laughs> actual factual version of the secret, which is you can manifest anything. Thought plus concentration plus time equals flesh, but it can only be giant wasps. Yes, you can you can create anything as long as it happens to be a giant wasp. But I did I have we talked about the dream I had a couple of weeks ago? Uh, I don't believe so. In my dream, uh, I was fighting off an infestation of very creepily, I um, very creepily individual spiders. Like each spider was different. Uh huh. They all. I like that you can appreciate the individual differences in the spiders. I have recurring dreams where I I am forced, or for whatever reason, the camera, the dream camera, if you will, is very very interested in looking at spiders, like. It'll be my point of view, but my entire field of vision will be just the spider, like a close-up zoom camera. Interesting. I don't know why. I've had this since I was very, very small. I hate spiders, by the way. I I was going to say, do you have a genuine fear of spiders? I don't like the ones with the pointy legs. If they have sharp, pointy legs, I hate them. But tarantulas are okay. Tarantulas are also very big. And so that's kind of cool. Small, yeah. pointy, sharp-legged spiders are, are not cool. But anyway, in this, this is the first time I've ever had this dream with the spiders. We were fighting off this infestation. I was like, well, you can't just, like, squash them because I don't want to touch them. Uh, so somebody who I don't know who, a dream person who I don't didn't recognize, showed me that if I took a bowling ball and heated it up with a blowtorch... And then hold that heated bowling ball next to the spiders. Like, not so that it was touching them, but it was just near them. The spiders would die. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? I mean, I'm not someone who's into dream interpretation. uh, But if I was, I'd say you're afraid of spiders. And you want to get really good at bowling, but not too good. (laughs) Not too good. Not perfect. Yeah, you don't want to hit the pins. You just want to, with perfect control, almost hit the pins. Yeah. I, I asked Twitter what the dream meant, and we got one response from a good friend of ours, a, a lawyer friend of ours. Do you remember any lawyers we used to share? I do. Yeah. I, I remember we, a shared lawyer. He's on Twitter with his name. Can I feel like we could just use his name. I mean, it's up to you. Whatever. You want to dox him? I don't want to dox him. Anyway, our good friend uh, Chris sent in a, a response to my inquiry about what does this dream mean? And he just said, don't watch arachnophobia right after the big Lebowski. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I think that's actually kind of a good double feature, though. I might go eight-legged freaks, though. Oh, man. I couldn't watch either of these. Not a big, uh, not a big spider. But you love Spider-Man. Yeah, he only has the four limbs. What if what if Spider-Man's four limbs were very thin and pointy? I don't think I would like them. Uh, he, he, so the new Spider-Man, his name is Thomas Holland. He's got this robotic suit sometimes, and he's got these thing that comes out that says, like, activate kill mode. And, like, he's got these extra arms that come out that are, like, long and, like, sharp. Hate it. And also, he has very thin, pointy arms as well. Well, yeah, he's like he's got like a dancer's physique. I can't I can't blame the boy for that. 
We just want a muscular Spider-Man with big muscular arms that comes out of his back. Why is there no tarantula Spider-Man? Yeah, who's covered in hair. Big, hairy, muscular Spider-Man. Where's that Spider-Man? So all the Spider-Mans, men, all the Spider-Men, the classic ones, all your Peter Parker types are like, they're little thin waif boys, right? Yeah. Does that mean if there was a big muscular Spider-Man, he would have to go by like Spider-Boy to like complete the inverse? Yeah, or Spider-Baby. Spider-Baby? Yeah, I think I think if there's a big, uh, massive, hairy, muscular man with the ability to uh, swing around New York City and stop a bus with his bare hands, his name should be Spider-Baby. Ooh, the hatchling. <laughs> The hatchling, yes. Uh, I, I would like. I would like for a big muscular, uh, male presenting spider hero to be called Spider Babe. Spider, yeah, I could see yeah. it. anyone can yeah, be he, a babe. Oh yeah, he's a complete babe. I I feel like in the Spider Man cartoon from the nineties, there was like a big full spider guy, right? All right, Spider Man nineties. Big full spider guy. Let's let's do a little googling. It is so hard to look up Spider Man and Spider. I guess um, Venom is kind of like a big muscular Spider Man. He is a big muscular Spider Man. Yeah. Okay. So it's been done. But he a freak. <laughs> he a freak. More ways than one. Yeah, it's important to note that uh, Venom is a freak. Oh, Man Spider, that's who I'm thinking of. Oh, like Man Bat from Batman? Yeah, but there there was a Man Spider in the Spider-Man show, and it was just like a... I mean, you get the idea. Oh my god, what the fuck? <laughs> right? I do not like this at all. Not a big fan of Man Spider? No, oh no. Oh, oh boy! Unfortunate man, spiders. All... But he's kind of got everything we're talking about, like big muscular yeah. arms. He's got six of them. It would be I would be hard pressed to call this guy Spider Babe. Yeah, he's not a he's not very much of a babe, if we're being honest. No, maybe Spider Baby or the Hatchling would be uh, <laughs> yeah a little more fitting. Do yourself a favor, everybody at home. Look up Man Spider. Yeah, look up Man Spider. Just just enjoy. Enjoy your time. Drink it in. Yeah. Remember the last time we, se- we sent you on a mission to look at a picture from Spider-Man and it was Juicy Ass Venom? Uh, yeah. Trust us on this one as well. Yeah, exactly. We would never steer you wrong. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. We just want you to see the sexiest Spider-Man. Spider's-Man. Spider's-Man. <laughs> Spider's-Man? <laughs> Not to be confused, of course, with man spiders. Oh, men spiders. Yes, which is a one man made of many spiders. Okay, well, if you couldn't tell this week, uh, we've got nothing. What do you mean? We got nothing. We're, f- we're we're purely vibing our way through this week because after last week, we got really mad. We screamed into the microphone for a full hour. Uh, we just decided let's take a week off. Yeah, and it seems like uh, most of the news decided to take a week off as well. I mean, there there have been knock-on news stories in the zeitgeist related to the things we talked about last week. Uh, trigger yeah. laws are being ramped up in states. 
Uh, oh, in yeah. addition to those trigger law states continue to do crazy things like call for a nationwide ban of condoms and other like purely psychopathic things. Yeah, yeah, calling anyone who uses an IUD, IUD, yeah, an IUD, like a murderer, just really unhinged, like, are you okay kind of things that like, but really just shouldn't be happening. But I'm, it's, it's too much. It's honestly too much. It, it's too much, but it's also something that fell out of what we talked about last week. It's, uh, we knew these people would act this way, and the second they get a chance, they're going to try. And also, probably, in the back of their minds, they wonder if this draft opinion is not uh, what the ultimate decision ends up being, and Roe is upheld, then it will look like a like a major defeat for these people. So I think they're maybe showing out while they can. Uh, but in addition, we talked about the Fast and Furious stuff, and a couple extra details have come out, but for the most part, it's just speculation. We covered uh, those details last week, John. There have been a couple other details of sources, like, talking about the specifics about the disagreement they had, uh, and with differing oh. opinions on what it is. Some people are like, oh, it's a late villain edition. Some people so say it's... So it's all just speculation. It's all speculation, seemingly. Yeah. Uh, so truly, I don't know. That movie seems fraught. Uh, this raft of news has made me not excited for movies that I, up until now, have been very excited to see every single one of. So, man, I don't know. And there's not really anything new in the news other than the fact that the stock market is kind of rightly fucked. Uh, interest rates are going up. There's there's nothing to talk about. Nothing good anyway. That's for sure. And I'm sure someone listening to this will know that there is some massive, like, uh, human or civil rights issue <laughs> that is uh, happening under our noses that has gotten uh, very publicized that we should be talking about. But if there is, I haven't seen it in whatever bubble the algorithm has curated for me. Yeah, and I've already made the decision to see how long I can go this week without thinking Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so far it's been two days and nice. we'll that's see, pretty good. Yeah. We'll see how long I can keep that going. It's a nice like I said, simulation. <laughs> pure vibes this week. No thought, no pre-planning. We're just vibing. And right now the vibes say we should move on. No gods, no masters. Yeah. Andrew Ryan. Bioshock. Bioshock. Hey. Yeah. Uh, Lar- also, Ayn Rand said that maybe I don't know. Yeah, weren't they? They were. They were analogs of each other, were they not? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Well, this isn't working. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's clearly not working. The vibes need to be improved. How do we improve these vibes, John? I don't know how to improve these vibes, Henry. What you been watching? Oh, really? I mean, I guess. I mean, we've been watching the same thing, buddy. Have we? Yeah, Better Call Saul. Oh, you've been rewatching the BCS. Yes, the BCS, as we all know it's called. Isn't that a K-pop boy band? I believe that's BTS. Oh, wow. That's really close. Yeah, I've been rewatching uh, the BCS. Uh, I'm in the middle of season five right now. No spoilers. Nice. Uh, I think we are also in the middle of season five. No spoilers. Yeah. Uh, it's a hell of a show. 
It makes me want to rewatch Breaking Bad, but also not really, because I'm afraid that if I rewatch it after seeing Better Call Saul, it'll be worse than I remember. See, this is the thing. I don't know if this is recency bias, like Better Call Saul is more recent in my mind, but I think it's the better show overall. I mean, uh, no spoilers for anyone listening to this, but Better Call Saul is like a masterclass in character writing across at least five different characters in that show. Like yeah. Five or maybe even six characters in that show have uh, immaculately written, perfectly paced arcs that, for the most part, never waver in quality. Like, it's just incredible writing. For sure, yeah. I was watching it, and Jamie came over, and she was like, "Is this the part? Wait, what? Wait, what kind of? What, what, what's going on?" And I, I, I got a chance to explain. It's like, "Oh no, the genius thing about Better Call Saul is it's about five or six people who just sort of bump into each other over time, but they're all sort of like doing their own thing, and they only cross paths when the story dictates." So, mm-hmm. like right now, like what you're seeing has nothing to do with what someone else is seeing. They're just happening concurrently. And then later on, they might bump into each other again and we'll see the results of what they got going on right here. Yeah, I mean, some characters get preloaded with almost an entire season's worth of experiences and perspectives before meeting up with another character. And then those expectations and perceptions clash with their expectations and perceptions. It creates this really interesting milieu uh, I, I love both Jimmy and Mike and like when they're the various points in their lives where they're like lives, their life paths cross every interaction is so good. If brief. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And, and I think what the unfortunate weakness or not weakness, but limitation that, that breaking bad has is it's really, you you got two people for the most part. Except for like cold opens, but it's going to be one of those two people you're seeing. Yeah. That, that's about it. We really don't get the other side as much as in, in BCS where it's like, well, there's no sides, so you're getting everybody's story. Yeah, it's, it's just phenomenal. Great performances, too. I remember watching Breaking Bad Live as it aired and like going to forums where people would like live blog about the episodes while they were happening and people having all these opinions and and watching better call Saul really makes me yearn for those days. Like I, I miss television being this much of an event because it seems like television is just kind of a thing that I like blast my eyes with for a few days and then it's over. Oh no, for sure. No, no, the whole landscape of television has shifted drastically from like, there used to be maybe six channels so if you wanted to watch television, you would watch one of these six channels, and then like the next day at work, you would just bring up what you saw last night, and everyone else saw the same thing. And we've just expanded and expanded those six channels to now there's just endless amounts of content that you could watch, but the odds are everyone is just watching at their own pace, they're binging it, they're taking it week by week, whatever. There's no more consistent channel not channel there's no no more consistent through line for people to have those water cooler talks about anymore 
do you have the appetite for a somewhat philosophical discussion about this? Yeah, sure. Why not? Because I've been thinking, I've been thinking about a lot when I've been reminiscing about going on these forums on like something awful and gabbing it up about the newest episode of Breaking Bad or Lost or whatever. And how things used to come out every week. And like going into the week, you kind of knew what you were going to watch. You're like, oh, the season's on for Lost and Breaking Bad or whatever else I'm watching. I know I'm going to watch those. And now because of the advent of things like Netflix, and not to sound like an old person, but I think the problem is that all content is now everywhere all the time. You can watch any of tens of thousands of hours worth of content being conservative at any point in time, you can move forwards or backwards in time, watch however much of it you want. And it makes the viewing experience really unpleasant because of the number of choices. Yeah. Compare that to, I personally think that I would be happier sometimes. I sometimes think that I would be happier in prison than I am in modern society. <laughs> Hear oh, me out. Oh, no. What? Just because I, you can't control the television? Hear me, not actual prison, but like oh. if I was, I'll use my gym as an example. And this is why I've always loved going to the gym and being in a gym. It's not because I love to work out, which I like, but I like it because when you're in a gym, the number of things you can do are about as limited as they can be in any place in your life. Because in the gym, you can work out, depending on the gym, you can shower. At this gym, you can like get a little smoothie or whatever. But your menu is extremely limited. And however long you're in there, you only pick of these select few activities. And outside of the gym slash prison, you have infinite choices. And of those infinite choices, I, I think it robs you of the enjoyment a little bit. I think having a limited choice, I think constraints breed happiness. And this sounds like I'm doing like a Michel Foucault, like everything is a prison and we deserve to be in prison thing. Uh, but I think people forgot how constraints used to make them happy. I can draw a comparison to being a child. Because okay. when you, yeah, when you're a child, you can only do the things people will allow you to do. So you've got some free time in an afternoon. You're a child. No one's going anywhere. So you, you know, you, you're confined to, let's say your room or your house. You take your toys out and they're the same toys they've been for the past couple of months, which seems like forever. And you, you played with them, but now you've got this afternoon and you've got these toys. So what do you do? You create new stories with the same toys and the, and the space and the time that you have with the materials you have in front of you. So you, like you mix your building blocks with your action figures to make like a city for your, your, your toys to run around in and, and have storylines and stuff. I, that was my childhood. <laughs> like I didn't watch yeah. TV. I just created my own stories and those stories went all over the freaking place. They were crazy. And I had my own, my own OCs rubbing up against, you know, established characters. So I got to have that, that self insert kind of thing that we all toy around with. 
But there was more freedom there with less than now. As an adult, I have a free afternoon and there's just way too many things I could do. So I end up doing nothing. Yeah. In in our total freedom, we are much less free than we ever have been. Like, I think you're 100% right. I mean, I watched TV as a kid, but... Even when I was a teenager, before Netflix, I would watch an episode of like Lost or Breaking Bad, and I would think about that episode for a week, and I would form complex opinions and theories around that episode, and I, I would actually like nourish myself intellectually by thinking about these things. Whereas now, like, I can watch an incredible episode of BCS uh, that is heartbreaking and astounding and like a work of phenomenal genius. And that's on to the next episode. Like the amount of time I have, the amount of free time I have to really think about the things I consume and interact with is so brief. Uh, and I think what it is, is when we're kids, like we want new toys, right? Because the right. answer to us having to make all these, we just want new shiny things. And it's a, it's a human condition. It's the hedonic treadmill. Like we just want new shit. And I think we grew up as children that always wanted new shit. We became adults that always wanted new shit. And we grew up in a time technologically where people realized we can kind of give them all the new shit they ever want. And we still want it, but it's not making us any happier. And I would maybe contend that it is making us more unhappy every day that we have more available to us in our freedom. We are trapped. Yeah, no, whereas, you, you know, Breaking Bad for you gave you an amount of happiness, an amount of community. You, you could find yourself in a place having watched this thing, reading discussions and partaking in discussions. Uh, now it's like because you had that and because the people who make the media know you have had that, they want to recreate it, but they want to recreate it so that you consume it. And then you consume it and you're left with, well, okay, I consumed it. Now what? And that's the same time, you know, as soon as you're saying now what, there's a new show and then a new show. So it's like, it takes that, that moment of nostalgia you had of like community and, and enjoying the show and talking about it and turning it into this never ending sort of journey of like show to show to chase that itch, if you will. And it becomes like a weird addiction loop. I think you're right, because I, I think that we do have an itch in the brain and companies are getting really good. It's not just an algorithm. I think it's just people making choices, not from like a holistic artistic standpoint, but from making one of the standpoint of just capital C content is like when Disney Plus came out, you're like. Ah, uh, what am I going to, and WandaVision was there and you know that you like Marvel movies and it seems interesting and like watching it was just enough to like lightly itch your brain, lightly scratch the itch in your brain. The second it's over, do you think about WandaVision? Do you engage with it whatsoever? Does it change your worldview? No, Hawkeye or Loki or whatever is there or the Mandalorian, right. like the second, like a thing that you had a low level yearning for is over. Another thing comes to feed another low level yearning. You have, you're like someone who's just constantly getting force fed. <laughs> like you never have a chance to be hungry. So you appreciate your next meal. You're just constantly eating. Exactly. Yeah. I, 
it, it also doesn't help that the the activity in a, in a of itself is like you say, like it's not rewarding anymore. Yeah, I, I feel like Breaking Bad is a good example because that show actually did reward the viewer for watching closely, and like you you got something out of those discussions. Um, a show where I really got into the discussions and the theories and the week to weakness of it all was Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was I was on the forums like every day. This was like subreddits, and there were YouTube videos that would summarize popular theories and explain them and the possibilities and stuff. I was like deep in that stuff. And then what are the the show just didn't reward any of that. Yeah. And that was the last time I really got that deep into a show because I, I realized, you know, it's not just Game of Thrones and WandaVision is a good sort of example because like WandaVision starts out a complete and total mystery that again really doesn't reward you diving deep into the mystery looking for clues. It just plays out the way it plays out whether you watch closely or not. Yeah, there's nothing beyond for shows like that there's nothing beyond the explicit text and that's it. Exactly. Whereas Breaking Bad, well, I mean Breaking Bad is a pretty surface level story, but at least it's very well told. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, it, it rewards you by being worth watching, whereas I don't know if there are really many shows out there today that are worth watching other than the initial sort of entertainment value. I think that's kind of what it boils down to, and I I didn't realize this until you said it, but I think Game of Thrones was like the last television show. Like, Game of Thrones was the last show, and I haven't, at this point, had any kind of cable for... I don't know, 14 years of my life. Uh, so I don't know what that's like. But yeah, no. Yeah. Game of Thrones was a show that happened every week. Everyone was glued to it. You would have watch parties about it. You would have discussions. And then we all know what happened. Uh, so it's a shame that it was the last television show. But since then, like, obviously nothing has taken its place. I don't really think that anything can that's that's the place. thing. Exactly what you just said. We're no longer in a landscape where anything can take just complete hold of, of the zeitgeist. I mean, is any company out there, is any production company or television network going to say, we're going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on a television show that'll come out once a week and we'll just kind of hope for the best. No, they're they're going to want to spend 50 million. That's probably a lot. I don't know. They're going to want to spend 50 million dollars on a show that you can binge watch in an afternoon. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, n- exactly. Yeah. Game of Thrones was the last time a television show took hold of a culture, the Internet culture that spilled over into real life. Like everyone was talking about it. Normies, nerds. Uh, hot chicks, <laughs> hot, hot chicks, dudes, jocks. jocks. Everyone was like, it, it, we were all caring about medieval shit in like you know 2016 or whenever it was, and like that. that I mean, like if it was Star Wars, if, if it was some type of a uh, space thing, that you know, we'd all be into sci-fi shit. 
that yeah, I, I, it's, it, it, yeah. it took the it took the culture over, and I feel like nothing does that. I don't anymore. think. It, it, yeah, I, and to your point, I don't think it can. Yeah, uh, it has. It would have to be of extremely high caliber quality, and and as accessible format as possible to appeal to as many people as possible. But also, it has to stand alone or stand out in a just a constant sea of content. And I, I don't think, one, that our cultural landscape, I don't think it, I don't think it, it, that's, there's no hospitable environment for that type of show anymore, for one. And then two, while companies would love it to happen, they're way more content with capturing just a small niche fraction of an audience for like a little bit of time. And that gets them enough short term return on investment that they're happy enough to greenlight a second season of that small niche thing. Yeah. All, all you need to find is your like small group of people that are really into you or Tiger King or whatever the fuck. Yeah. And that's it. That's your, that's your success. And I don't necessarily think that people should aim for higher. It just sound it just used to seem like other things took priority and permeated the zeitgeist a little bit more. I don't know. It's 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 bleak. I don't find myself watching much television anymore. Yeah, I mean, I'll just pick a show and watch through it on my lunch break just to break up my day. But you know, as soon as that episode ends, it's like I gotta go back to work. I'm not, I'm not hopping on to any site to like read about, especially when I'm catching up on a show because then it's it's impossible to filter out. You know, the discussion of the episodes I haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. So, so like, yeah, the timing is just off because everyone can just like, yeah, people can just binge it in a day and just be done with it. And then, you know, the people who want to write about it will turn around and write about it without any regard of whether you've seen it all or not. And I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm off base because it seemed like some people do really care about that Euphoria show on, on Twitter, at least. Yeah, but again, I, I really feel like that's a, a niche sort of audience. People who are into Euphoria, that's all they can talk about when the show is on. Mm-hmm. And I suppose there was some of that with Game of Thrones. It just, from an individualistic anecdotal standpoint, so like huge disclaimer, it feels like Game of Thrones was bigger in the culture than Euphoria. Oh, I mean, I worked in an office at the time, and when a Game of Thrones episode dropped, like, on the Monday following that, you'd hear conversations across the floor, people talking about it. So I do think it it seriously permeated culture. But I, I think there's something, like, I think there is something deeper to this tyranny of choice thing. Because, like, I, and I'm sure you feel this way as well, maybe not so much because it sounds like you have a decent, like, social support group. Uh, you and your spouse, but like, I'm having to talk to a lot of friends who are similar in age to myself, who are like having real trouble, like finding friendships in their thirties. And the conversation I always have with them is like, when were you able to get friends in the past? And the answer is school for the most part, like college or elementary school or high school is where people get friends because their options are limited because you're all forced into the same place where you can only do so much 
and you actually have to like get to know people. You can't make friends by going to a bar. Everyone will be on their phone because there's too many options for what they could do. <laughs> well, and no one goes to a bar to make friends anymore for sure. Like if you walk up to talk to people at a bar, they're in their head. They're like, okay, well, but when is this over so I can get back to what I was doing? Yeah, it's and for these people, I'm like, sign up for a class. Just be somewhere where you're forced to be in close proximity to other people and and you will make friends because for that short period of time, your options will be limited. And I think I I seriously want to invest in like limiting my options in life. Not going yeah. to prison, but I, I think, <laughs> I think limiting a... one's options might actually have the net result of making one happier. It, it can. Because I, I think, you know, our eyes are way bigger than our stomach for the most part as humans. We, we always want way much more than we can handle. And no one's stopping back to examine, especially under the banner of capitalism, how much is too much. Yeah. I mean, under the current model of capitalism, nothing is too much. Everything, constantly, algorithm, content. Uh, your eyes will forever be blasted with pictures of a smirking Chris Evans. Who cares? Right. Yeah, it, it's funny. I read something uh, today that like artificial scarcity is required for our current model of capital capitalism to exist or to thrive. And, mm -hmm. and it's like to apply that to what we're talking about now, it's like, well, that doesn't seem true. There's endless content, yeah. but there's only so much time. And that's yes. why like the marketing is like, if you only have time to see one movie this summer, make it this one. It's like yes. reminding you, you have limited time <laughs> and like pick oh, us. So where the bleak. One yeah. So bleak. It's I can imagine it like the super satirical sort of like workshop for marketing. It's like step one, memento mori. Step yeah. two, mention product. <laughs> Step one, Memento Mori. Step two, can we put Spider-Man in it? Yeah. Step two, is is Thomas Holland attached? <laughs> is he available? I, I Listen, I am writing a spec script for a new show, and I think I have a title for it, which is, you have to watch this show before you die, open parentheses, which will be soon, <laughs> close parentheses. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, starring Thomas Holland. Yeah, starring Tom Holland. He's not as Spider Man, but you know he, you know he could be. Yeah, like he doesn't web sling, but sometimes he looks at spiders, and you're like, he kind of winks at the camera, and you're like, you get it. Yeah, you get it, and that's really all the show is. I want it's just Tom Holland winking at spiders, and the name of it implies that you're going to die soon. I can, um, do, do, do you know about the very strict rules about the people who play James Bond? Uh, I don't. I know precious little about James Bond other than that uh, sweet man, Daniel Craig. Uh, yeah, of course, <laughs> Daniel Craig. Um, but yeah, um, in the past, there have been really strict contracts that people have to sign in order to portray James Bond. And one of them is... If you are currently portraying James Bond, if you're the current James Bond, you cannot wear a tuxedo in any other movie. Oh, interesting. I guess I can see their point, though. Yeah, they, they want to protect the image that, you know, Daniel Craig is Dame's. 
he is James Bond, if you will. Yes, um, I, I don't. Yeah. From what I I see their point because it's it's kind of James Bond's thing. It's like saying if you're Spider Man, you can't dress like Spider Man. Well, yeah, in no, any other so, movies, but it's only I, because the James Bond thing is is only a tuxedo. The joke I was gonna make was that you know. To be Spider-Man, you cannot appear in a movie with a spider. <laughs> yes, you you cannot appear in any. You can't. You, your name can't be mentioned alongside a spider. Uh, listen, Tobey Maguire was in a lot of movies where the script called for people to say that Harold, so spider-like, can't do it. No, he actually had to leave Hollywood for a little while. Like he did Great Gatsby, and then. Every script that came his way had the word spider in it somewhere. And he's like, look, man, I can't do it. I can't do it. You want me to star in spiders, spiders, spiders? Don't, <laughs> don't you understand? Yeah. You want me to play a spider? <laughs> you want me Name to be? Name the great Gatsby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Wild Wild, Wild Wild West 2 has been sitting on a desk for years because they wrote it specifically for Tobey Maguire and he can't do it because of the giant mechanical spider. That yeah, is going he to can't make- do it because of the giant mechanical spider. And of course his one line, Tobey Maguire appears out of nowhere and then he looks at the giant mechanical spider and says, that's a spider man. And then <laughs> the camera pans to his face and very slowly zooms in on his face for a minute and a half. They couldn't get him to stop shedding a single tear every take. <laughs> yeah. He refused to blink during the takes. So tears did come to his eyes as the camera zoomed in over the course of a minute and a half. And they tried all the tricks. They tried clapping in front of him. They tried throwing things at him. <laughs> he would not blink, and that single tear would just would just roll down his cheeks. And some people say it was uncalled for that at the end of the minute and a half slow dolly zoom, he just said he just whispers Uncle Ben and shakes his head. Uh, but he's method, you know. Very method. Very method. So that's why there's no Wild Wild West 2. What the fuck were we talking about? That's why there's no Wild Wild West 2 and why everyone would be happier in prison. Right. Limit your choices. Yeah, I mean, to this day and age, I feel like half of the choices we have have sort of diluted themselves to the point of endlessly creating content without any quality check anyway. So, like... Maybe get rid of Netflix if you're not using it. Maybe cancel your Amazon Prime if you don't want to watch Outer Range. Maybe get rid of Hulu. Maybe just have Apple TV. Maybe just have HBO Max, Apple TV, and, I don't know, Shutter. Yeah. I don't know. Actually, that would kind of be, like, perfect. For me. For my for consumption of movies. It was really interesting in the middle of the pandemic, like in the middle of the quarantine part of the pandemic when Apple TV launched and the only thing people had to watch was like WandaVision and it did the week to week format. And you could, you could, you knew when a new episode came out, because if you were on Twitter, it's all Twitter would talk about Mm -hmm. and they would have their theories and all, but it was like a microcosm. It was like a, a small sort of 
you know, shred of the, of the, the TV of times past. I don't know what to do with that. Other than I, you know, the show didn't reward any of that. It was just, I, I bet the executives loved it because it just got their show into the mainstream, like social media f- loop over and over again. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe the last time I can remember everyone being about certain shows was right at the beginning of the quarantine stage of the pandemic. But even then it's like everyone was into Tiger King. I couldn't really watch that because I didn't, I didn't care. Everyone was into WandaVision. I'm like, Oh, okay. But think about it though. We were all into it because again, our options were limited. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't go outside too afraid to, to like seek therapy (laughs) and talk about our fears. So instead we channel all of our nervous energy into whatever the fuck Tiger King's about. Yeah, we just watch Tiger King and then we make a lot of snap judgments about whether or not people did or didn't kill their husband. And, and like the most hilarious thing that come out of all of that was Netflix thinking, oh, we've got a hit on our hands. Let's double down. Here's Tiger King, the conversation show hosted by Joel McHale. Here's Tiger King, the fucking movie with like Kristen Wiig or something. I don't, I don't even know if that's real. But, like, they kept, like, oh, we're going to do a second season of Tiger King. It's like, you didn't have a hit on your hands. We just didn't have any options. Yeah, you just had the clinical definition of a captive audience. Right. So maybe that's the thing. Like, yeah, limit your – if all of our options are limited and we're all on the same page, there's a more cohesiveness about our cultural experience. And we're not so diluted with choice that no one's on the same page except for me and you. And we happen to be rewatching Better Call Saul at the same time. Yeah, whatever algorithm fed us Better Call Saul is is definitely working. I don't want to stretch too far, but I almost wonder if the unlimited number of choices and extreme tailoring of content to certain audiences fuels the division in this country, nay, the world. I don't know. It's very possible. I, I I honestly feel like algorithms have done way more. Well, let, let's. I need to take a step back. I was about to say I feel like algorithms have done more harm than good. What I mean to say is, I think algorithms that gate content specifically to individual users has done more harm than good. Yes, uh, it is. It is heartening to hear you say that because I do say the algorithm a lot and algorithms, algorithms are just processes. Uh, that's it. Like an algorithm's nothing but that. Yeah. Uh, but yes, the, the algorithm specifically for tailoring content to individuals. Uh, Allison, my fiance, and I were having a conversation about this and how when you see something in the world that so thoroughly contradicts your opinions and feelings like if you see a sticker or an ad for like info wars or like in our sphere it was like seeing something that's pro-life because we're both very pro-choice uh fuck those kids uh but (laughs) jesus we we like saw a pro-life thing and it like disgusted us and offended us and we thought about it critically for a second and it's interesting because to us being pro-choice is the only option because we consider it to be moral to be pro-choice. We consume content that probably feeds an algorithm that feeds us content 
that will confirm our bias. However, the the same is true of the other side. It's like if someone has like a pro-life bent at all, then they're going to get fed things that are increasingly militantly pro-life. Like I'm I'm sure there's someone out there who has a very soft brain uh, and not a very well-formed political ideology and they're like 19 and they saw the movie John Wick and they think like the the Israeli Jericho handgun is cool so they like look it up on Google on whatever phone they have and then the the algorithm on Google is like oh this person might lean slightly right wing and then 3 years down the line they're storming the US Capitol yeah i mean that possibility certainly does exist uh, and I mean, we've already seen tech companies come out and like apologize, like, oh, whoopsie doopsie. Turns out we've been, you know, accidentally feeding conservative, our, our, our more conservative viewers racist stories for the past two years straight. Wonder yeah. what that effect had on them. <laughs> I wonder what that might have led to. I don't really know. Yeah. But yeah, creating these echo chambers where it's like, no, we're just, we're seeing what you're interested in so we can show you similar things. You're isolating people to the point of they might not even get news from other sources anymore because they're so likely to click on certain types of links. But that's not, like, they shouldn't not ever see other links that they should be given a chance to see other links, you know? So, uh, we're almost never, certainly never going to have another chance to talk about this. Okay. Uh, But do you have any interest in talking about something related to algorithms, content and machine learning? That's actually kind of huge right now. And is actually really important for anyone who consumes content. Let's do it. It seems like we vibed right into this. Uh, you totally reminded me of it. I think this came out like six or seven days ago. Have you ever heard of something called GPT-3? No. Uh, so GPT-3, I believe, stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer 3. Uh, it's a I'm language- not familiar with any of the Michael Bay films. Uh, well, this one is the one with giant nuts and they fight on the moon. Ah, okay. Uh, but this is actually, it's a language model. So it's like a deep learning language model that generates text, uh, to make this, uh, easily understood by anyone listening to this. If you've looked up like, you know, printer drivers for a MacBook, right? And the first thing you get on Google is a blog post on something called like besttechanswers.com. And it's a massive blog post that's like, many people have wondered how to obtain drivers for printers on the Mac. In this article, we will tell you a driver is defined like this it's factually and for the most part grammatically accurate and typically will contain the information you need, but it is extremely long, overladen with definitions, and doesn't seem to be written by a real person. Have you ever had that happen? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Especially for computer problems like that. Yeah, it's almost always technological problems. That's because these blog posts, for the most part, are written by models, language models, like GPT-3. They're not written by humans whatsoever. They're uh, specifically written by robots, and then the websites are so viciously optimized for search engines that they're the first three to five results, like completely ruining the usefulness of a search engine like Google by giving you total, like, crufty, unreadable articles to any question you might feel like asking. And GPT-3 is far, by OpenAI, is, like, far and away the most popular way to do that. Uh, GPT-3 is a paid service, and it's also a black box, meaning you don't know what's going on behind the scenes of GPT-3 at any time. You're just paying for this service to generate articles for you. Does that sound appropriately dystopian so far? Uh, I don't... Uh, it's weird. I, how does anyone... How is anyone all right with the black box, you know, part of it, where it's like, oh, we can't tell you how it works. We just can show you the results. Are you okay with that? <laughs> I mean, these companies just want to make money off of AdWords for the most part. So as long as they can get like crazily optimized SEO and this blog post out there, then they're raking in the money. And most of these, uh, whenever like a human being looks at something AI makes, it's called human in the loop. Oh, and okay. Human in the loop is far and away the least popular method of publishing content online using machine learning and AI. Like, Oh, yeah, well, yeah. You got to pay that human. Yeah, you don't want to pay a human. You just want a machine to make a 9,000-word blog post about changing your mouse DPI uh, and completely ruin the usefulness of search engines. But there's a darker side to it, Henry. What's the darker side? Please tell me. When you end up with a black box and something like GPT-3 and it's creating long-form textual content, uh, it can pick up some things because it's using a massive scraped corpus of data, written data from the internet. So sometimes if you're writing articles about, you know, civil rights or Mm. the news, (laughs) the news is actually really big, you end up with no human ever looking at this and publishing things that are inciting violence against minority groups are inflammatory, racist, sexist, Uh, uh, tell you how to like build bombs and weapons. What the hell? Uh, Yeah. Cause you know, AI doesn't know (laughs) like a machine learning model is just like, I've been told that putting words in this order, I get rewarded for that. So I'm just going to do it. Uh, you know, I, there's, there's no, nothing evil is happening. It's just a computer spitting out the evil that humanity has always created. And also those things tend to get more views, which is a reinforcement learning model. You get more of that. So it's a problem. Yeah. It sounds like a huge problem. So seven days ago, six or seven days ago. Oh, this is um, recent. Meta, the company oh, that used to be called no. Facebook. Oh no. You have. You have no idea where this story is going. I really don't. I just feel like it's bad. So uh, Meta's machine learning and AI department 
uh, actually recreated GPT-3 from scratch. Uh, they specifically tried to make something that is as close to an exact replica of GPT-3 as possible, which, given the same input, would have the same output. And why so would far, they do so that? I, I do, so they can implement it without the problematic parts? They did that because Meta's AI and machine learning division actually whips ass and they are the only good part of the company. Uh, because they do things like they create like great forecasting models, make them totally free. They publish academic papers like full transparency. And they remade GPT-3 to get rid of the black box so people can look at how something like that works. Ideally, get rid of what makes it problematic, but more likely see how problematic it can be and then make the decision to not use a tool like GPT-3. Okay, like they, yeah. They recreated yeah. it to show how much it sucks. Right, no, it's like rebuilding a bad engine from scratch to show like this is where this design of engine is flawed. And because we can recreate it, that means it's inherent to the, the engine or, or the system uh, and so it's not just a fluke. Now that we can see into the black box, we can see exactly what's happening. Uh, so yeah, it's it's like it's like science. It's like an experiment, you know, trying to recreate something to get the similar or same results. Yeah, it's absolutely scientific because what they wanted to do is take away the total lack of visibility, interpretability, and be like, hey, if this if this fucking thing is going to be writing most of the content we engage with over the next few years, people deserve to know how it works, uh, which is extremely laudable. Like that part of meta, very good. Uh, have uh, like data scientists and machine learning people at Facebook come out in the past and said, Hey, maybe we caused genocide in this country and then got fired for it. Uh, yes. But that uh, apparently the current like AI division at meta is brand new and is specifically created to be an ethical body. Uh, it is the only good part of that company, and I love what they did. That sounds pretty cool. Anyway, they, many people if, define a podcast as... Oh, we're going to start being... Yeah, G, we're just going to do an episode that's just written by GPT-3. Yeah, I, I thought that was going to be a horror story. I thought, like... Meta was revealed to be the most racist of the companies by accident. Yeah, no. When I when I first read that and I saw it was Meta, I'm like, I also felt like it was going to be the worst possible outcome. But it's right. I I will say it seems like in the technology sphere, it a lot of people's takeaway of this is Meta made a free version of GPT three. I'm going to use that one. Uh, which is missing the point of they right. did it so you could see how it sucks. Now people are just like, I don't have to pay to post my racist blogs. Yay! <laughs> I mean, it did, I mean, it really did. T it really depends on uh, what, like, if their model was able to root out the problematic problems or not. Yeah, they specifically made it to not do that. They specifically made it so people could look at it and be like, oh, this is this is something that allows it to be this way. And I think ideally it would dissuade people from using models like GPT-3 okay. in their entirety. Uh, but it's really just solving a transparency issue, which yeah. 
who knows if people are actually going to listen to reason on that? Because for the most part, people just want to like plug in a library and throw things at it and make a few bucks. Exactly. Yeah, just get some money off AdWords. Yeah. But you know, I mean, if the end result is people see, oh, Meta made a free one and Meta successfully rooted out the, the problems of the black box version of GTP3, then maybe the overall net gain is just a side effect of their experiment where it's like, okay, there's less problematic things of less bomb instructions on the internet written by robots. I would also hope that by making it free, if this like totally proliferates long form, like language model blogs being written, maybe at that point it will be so ubiquitous that people will have to do something new. That's hopefully less, potentially dangerous than letting a robot write content with no supervision. Yeah. I I mean, the biggest takeaway I'm getting from this, it's like, tell me you don't respect the art of writing without telling me you don't respect the (laughs) art of writing. We went through the trouble of programming an entire robot to populate articles for you so you don't have to pay an enabled freelance blog writer i mean the the most devious evil things happening in tech right now are literally people using machine learning to replace artists and it's happening all over the place there's this uh there's this a generative model called doll E which like creates art based on words you feed it, but it's creating art based on a corpus of hundreds of thousands of photographs and paintings from real artists. Like it's disgusting. And yeah. people are saying, Oh, artists won't even need to work so hard. They'll just have to type in Elon Musk smoking a blunt on the moon and a computer will do the picture. And it's it's completely missing the point of why yeah. art exists and why the written word exists. It's a content for content's sake problem. Yeah, um, well, it's yeah, it's what Dadaism was making fun of. At least the the very slim um, faction of Dadaism that was all about uh, just generating text for the sake of generating text. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, honestly, we can go back and study that little French art movement to see a warning sign of the computers and robots that were to come. <laughs> I, I wonder if you could make a, an art, a generative image production model called Dod, ah, you feed it words and it gives you just the most offensive, pointless, meaningless garbage possible. Yeah. I mean, you could probably, I, when I was in uh, grad school, we found like a text generator and it's just like, all it does is generate random phrases and odds are, you know, these words have never been put in this order before. So therefore it's an original text. Mm-hmm. Now, does it make sense? No, but it's original. And that's all that, that was the only point. I wonder at what point we're going to go after like image generating models like a dolly that are creating art using a corpus of like actual trademarked art like is that transformative it's not a human doing it right well i think about you know very good friends of the show botanic studios who feed 
their their uh, their text generating AI just Harry Potter novels and maybe some other flavorful flavorful things too. But then it just generates Harry Potter text. Yeah, is that yeah like is that transformative? Is that is that original? They put it all out for free. I think to skirt you know any copyright infringement, and of course I think they label it parody to sort of give them even more protection, but. As soon as somebody does that and then tries to sell a book as original, I feel like there's like a, I don't know if there's precedent or law to to really uh, dictate how that would go. Now I think I have a fairly nuanced take here in that uh, I since I like what Botnik Studios does and it makes me laugh, that's okay. Since I don't like what Dolly does, it's wrong and they should be sued. Right. Uh, I, for sure. Like, be, comedy gives you some protection, for sure. Because then it's parody and, you know, it's not to be taken seriously. This this Dolly thing feels more... What was it called? Dolly. It's a dumb name. Yeah, dumb name. Okay. It feels oh, open more... AI. All the the makers of GPT three also made Dolly. We'll go figure. It seems more sinister in nature. It seems more let's cut out the middleman. In this case, the middleman is you know creatives, which, which look, we already our, our options are already limited. The market's already oversaturated. Please stop trying to eliminate creatives. Yeah, please let the creatives fucking live. And listen, if you're going to replace anyone with code, replace software engineers. Like those people are expensive and their jobs aren't that hard. Yeah. Yeah, software engineer. I mean, honestly, programmers are going to be obsolete anyway. They're going to they're going to program themselves out of the job. <laughs> That's what people keep saying, but I mean <laughs> It's a good joke. They should. Oh, okay. They should. They they should they should lose their jobs. Why? What? Get rid of computer. Go to prison. <laughs> Excel. You can't. You need computer for Excel. <laughs> no. Go to Excel prison. Oh, Get so people paper make Excel. Yeah. Oh, so their options are more limited. Yeah, your and options are when you're in prison, you can do Excel. And then you get more joy out of it because your options are limited. There is only doing Excel by hand. And so you can really appreciate it and start like a discussion group about Excel because, yeah. again, you, ha you have nothing. You have nothing. Listen, if your two options are eat gruel or, or do Excel, you'll start liking doing Excel. Eat gruel or do Excel is the title of this episode. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree. Oh. Wow. If, I, it, well, I'm just, if people don't think about these things and we just keep mindlessly going on into a future of unregulation or just progress for the sake of making progress, like where, where are we going to be? I mean, nowhere good. Yeah, what does that look like? Like, <laughs> we just keep building new buildings, disregarding maintenance for the old building. So there's always shiny new skyscrapers surrounded by derelict, boarded up buildings that nobody wants because there's new skyscrapers. 
Well, I mean, I think the thing is like the skyscrapers with the jobs necessitate the skyscrapers that are condos. Uh, so you, then you just end up in these like sad vertical cities where everyone lives in 600 square feet. Uh, and then they go to their job that gives them their free Patagonia vest where they spend eight to 12 hours a day uh, coding a program that literally takes food out of artists' mouths. <laughs> like it's literally a robot that goes around and finds artists and takes the meager crumbs off of their plates. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Look, look, yeah, so, and all these shiny condos will be the programmers, and all the derelict buildings will be the artists, and this will be the class war. This shall be America's final battle, programmers versus creatives. Here's the thing, you don't, some people wouldn't believe this, but I think the creatives will win, because, like, if you take away a programmer's, like, Huel, they're going to die in three or four days. Those guys don't drink water. I don't know what Huel is. It's a meal replacement shake. Oh, it sounds like it's not good for your digestive system. I'm just saying, if you take away, if you take away the programmer's hyper-processed food and their VR headsets, they're going to be dead in like two or three weeks. Whereas the artists have been eating nothing but rice and beans for years. They've been subsisting like <laughs> worms, like grubs. Yeah, they, they've been making their food last longer than it should. Their Artists entire are careers. <laughs> The pain gives them inspiration. Yeah, they don't know what it's like to have the creature comforts of a high paying job or living in the sky because they've been on the ground in the dirt their entire lives. You just have to make one of these programmers sit in a non ergonomic chair and their spine will collapse. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that'll be it. I, I you know, really what's going to happen is the programmers with their limited choices are going to get bored of programming then they're going to try to turn on the TV and be like, oh, well, what's on TV? And it's going to be nothing. Yeah, it's going to be nothing because there aren't even artists to create WandaVision anymore. Right. And then, Exactly. <laughs> and then the programmers will be like, well, at least I have the beauty of nature to fall back on. And then they put on their head-to-toe Cotopaxi REI gear with their smart wool socks and their Fjall Raven Konken backpacks and their Pit Viper sunglasses, and then they step outside and they fall into a manhole. That's a lot of brands I know nothing about. <laughs> what is happening? Listen, you, you start to recognize certain brands when you're around certain people. Yeah. Patagonia. I know that one. That's the little animal. Yeah, it's a good company, but a bad people who wear it. I think they're called pandolins. Pangolins? Pangolins. Cotopaxi's llamas? What? Cotopaxi's <laughs> Zendaya is Michi? Zendaya is Michi? Yeah, yeah. The, 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 yeah, the, <laughs> the programmers will get bored. They'll Google Zendaya is Michi, and they'll get... 40 algorithmically created approximations <laughs> of vine humor written by black box algorithms. Everyone is asking, is Zendaya Michi? In this article, we'll explain 15 <laughs> ways that Zendaya is Michi and Michi yeah. is Zendaya. 
Yeah, instead, yeah, they're all AI written and spoken <laughs> podcasts covering what used to be art and comedy and and things created by creatives just in wikipedia style articles one zendaya has a long history of being michi and michi has a long history of being zendaya zendaya began as michi long ago Uh, every single one of these algorithmically generated pieces of long format text by the way always reads like a like a college freshman trying to pad out an essay every single one reads like a padded out essay yeah the cuckoo's poison circle the what cuckoo's poison what the poison meant for cuckoo what are you talking about oh yeah have you never seen the emperor's new groove uh, a long time ago. Yeah, there's a there's a, a bit that Kronk does where he he's Kuko's Kuzco. I the the fuck I don't know the guy's name. But David there's Spade. A, David Spade's poison. There's a phrase there, and he Kronk goes through all of the ways you could say that phrase one after the other, ruminating like ah that poison that's the poison you meant. Yeah. Oh, I see. And then Eartha Kitt's character is like, yes, obviously, come on. You know, it's this is perfect because I thought this was some uh, literate. I was like, what is this like literate, literary theory, Cuckoo's Poison Circle? I was fascinated to learn, but it's just a Disney movie. However, we did bring it back to Llamas, Cotopaxi, right? I don't Cusco's know what that means. Cuckoo's a llama. I don't know what that means. I think Cotopaxi is a llama fur outerwear company that is very expensive. Okay, I I wear I I wear the same five t shirts. I just wear whatever clothes my most recent tech company has given me. Yeah, must be nice. I just get a bunch of free shirts that say things like, love the internet. <laughs> a bunch of free shirts that say, a shirt is an article of clothing. <laughs> oh, no. There's 900 words on the front. <laughs> oh, no. Those shirts that are like, I'm a Pisces. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I eat butter and milk. I'm a I'm a Pisces and a, and a certified forklift operator. Yeah. These, these obviously... I, I have a wife who loves milk and a house in the sewer. <laughs> these obviously AI machine learning written shirts that are just amazing. Okay. Maybe AI is good, actually. Yeah. Oh man, this Oof. was a surprisingly stacked episode, despite us operating entirely on vibes. Yeah, yeah, super vibes. Uh, we got deeply philosophical about the paral the paralysis of choice, and uh, the ultimate message being: uh, limit your choices, limit yourself, put yourself in a prison of your own making. So Foucault, you can- baby. So you can truly enjoy what limited options you have. Indeed. And we also got to talk about AI, which I'm sure no one listening to this enjoyed very much, but I liked yeah. it. I, I got to trip over all of my words because my thoughts were slower than my mouth. That's just how it is sometimes. Yeah. I'm the also mouth happy. Mouth be fast. Mouse, mouse be fast. <laughs>
Mouse be fast. John, I also would be very happy to announce to you. I don't know if you know this. Uh, I think you should leave is getting the third season. Yes. Yeah. So excited. I'm actually going to pace myself on this next one. Me too. So for those of you who are looking to limit your choices, I know exactly what you need to do. Just have Netflix and just watch I Think You Should Leave on a constant loop because you're going to learn so much about life. And you're going to make a lot of friends, too. People love that show. Yeah. This is this is what we needed, I think, to solve our content crisis is a third season of a sketch show that apparently is wildly popular but only you and I, I'm the only person I could, you're the only person I can talk to about this show because literally no one else has seen it. Everyone in my circle tolerates it, but thank you, Tim Robinson and Zach Cannon for solving our content crisis. Yeah. Well, Henry. We did it. We did it. Oh yeah. What's up, John? Speaking of a content crisis. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to do a shout out. And okay, we never mind. You can you can do the shout out. Well, yeah, no, just shout out. I think I shouted this. I was gonna do it more in depth, but shout out to Eric for for engaging us and our Twitter. Uh, one of these days, we'll call you by your real name. I suppose I don't know. She's like a doctor now. It's confusing. All listen. I will say this definitively about our podcast: we have the most educated listener base of any podcast you know why henry why john because every time we speak it's like a fucking lecture at harvard because we're (laughs) geniuses oh god we don't care about your other degrees but the fact that you listen to us makes you smart Professor Henry, senior (laughs) professor john why are you senior professor i'm tenured Oh, what? All right. Seniority and I'm on sabbatical. (laughs) Tell these people how they can get in touch with us. I post my office hours and then immediately go on sabbatical. And if you want to go on what I like to call the sabbatical of the mind, (laughs) which is twitter.com, you can send us a tweet to at ZCPCWHJ. On Twitter.com, which stands for Henry Foucault. That's right. Foucault believed that everything was a prison, and I believe he was a bird. If you want to send us an email about whether or not Foucault was a bird, you can do so at to email at zerocredits.net. Who's your favorite philosopher? Is it Foucault? Heidegger? Kant? Who can it be? Let us know. We're always happy to talk about... I'm always happy to talk about philosophy. No one else really likes it. But podcasts are a form of philosophy that you can have if you don't like to think with your eyes and only your ears. And we are on all of them. The podcasts, that is. Uh, Good Pods, Podchaser, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you got this podcast today, if you want to engage with us on those platforms, maybe like, share, comment, review, whatever to boost us in that algorithm to keep us producing content for the sake of producing content, we will be grateful. 
However, we will be even more grateful if you take your beautiful body, stop playing basketball, which you're doing right now, stop balling, uh, put your shirt back on, because you're playing shirts versus skins, you are all, you're always skins, you're always skins, put your shirt back on, go up to everyone you've been playing basketball with and be like, hey, listen, basketball's fun, but podcast is better than basketball. Uh, and the Zero Credits podcast is the Michael B. Jordan of podcasts and basketball, because word of the mouth is the only way we can survive. Uh, so tell your basketball tribe, tell them that we like to vibe, and I can't think of a third word that rhymes with tribe. Survive! And- Oh my god. I could have said word of the mouth is the only way we can survive. Oh my god. If and I had v- just changed the order, survive. Uh. Fuck. And from everyone here at the Pure Vibes Studios, we don't wish everyone a week is a l- unit of time composed of seven days, and a good week is a unit of time composed of seven good days. Uh, Here at the studios of Pure Vibes, we, who have been in existence since 2016, want to wish you, the fams, uh, people who have been listening on and off for the past uh, five years, a happy, good unit of measurement time. I think the algorithm's broken. Yeah, I think it really trailed off there at the end, but as long as we get those clicks. Click, click. We want to wish you a happy week. Goodbye. Good vibes. fucking content i think we talked about some pretty heady interesting stuff yeah get that heady (laughs) oh no